This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us here on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Expect expert advice and real life stories, plus your questions answered, including are single men miserable? A psychologist has reported that single men of a certain age are really struggling with loneliness. And a big part of that is their lack of communication skills. We were unpacking the reasons behind it. Kelly Hoppen, CBE, was live in the studio talking about design and dyslexia. And it was author and expert Susie Robinson explaining some of the seven powers that can transform your leadership style. She was on hand to answer your questions as well. And it was your free legal clinic, Ludmilla Maliver, on hand to talk everything from maids, visas to construction chaos. Talking relationships this afternoon and recent psychological research is showing that single men in the 25 to 45 age demographic are reporting high levels of loneliness and are struggling in relationships and also get into relationships. It's also suggesting that women in the same age group have raised their bar of expectation in an emotional relationship and the men are having a hard time keeping up. Couples expert Dr. Greg Matos recently um, wrote in Psychology Today that younger and middle-aged men are the loneliness they've been in generations and are more likely to be, quote, long-term single. He has identified three issues for men that we're going to be unpicking and people of Dubai, we want to know what do you think? To unpack this and help any men who might be looking for love, we've got Reem Shaheen, a counselling psychologist and the managing director of B Psychology. So US trained counsellor, extensive training and experience in working across all sorts of different issues from anxiety disorders to relationship issues. If you want to share your thoughts on this or indeed have questions or comments, this is your chance. You can be anonymous if you prefer. 4001. Use that ARN Play app or you've got the WhatsApp too. Reem, lovely to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Helen. I find this fascinating. Yes. I want to know though, were you surprised by these foundings? Um, Honestly, I wasn't. But um, I've been seeing the issue with my clients. So I was not surprised. I was just surprised by the statistics of it. Mm -hmm. Because it was a lot higher than I expected it to be. Let's start to unpick some of those three reasons um, that Dr. Greg Matos identified. The first is relationship expectations. Women are becoming more empowered and independent. Their expectations in relationships are different. You are nodding along like this, yeah, big time. Is this something you've seen in clinic, whether it's in relationships with a couple who are perhaps not on the same page because of those reasons? Or, as this research says, single men who are just not reaching the levels that women want them to be at? You have to keep in mind that uh, women now, especially in, the age, in, the, in that age group, 20 to 40, who are single, are women who have been out in the world, whether working or discovering themselves or learning about themselves. So they, their expectations of socializing with others, not only uh, in an intimate relationship, tend to be higher mm-hmm. because they have higher expectations of themselves. Mm-hmm. So that reflects on all the relationships they have with others. Not willing to settle. Not willing to settle. That is true. And women, as you say, you know, women have been encouraged to work on their communication skills, mm-hmm. you know, their feelings, their needs. But men unfortunately, are still continued in so many areas to ignore them. You know, there seems to be a bit of a gap in the skills developed. There's a huge gap. And and this is due to the fact that society has always encouraged men to look externally 
for for any kind of validation. Whilst for women, it was always look internally, work on your self-esteem, work on your self-worth, work on yourself. Whilst men, it's more like go outside, get a job, earn more, earn more. Do this. So okay. the gap has become very wide in the last 20 years because for 20 years women have been working internally on, the, on themselves whilst men haven't. The quote is, um, women prefer men who are emotionally available, yes. are good communicators and share their values. Now the internet had thoughts on this. This is TikToker uh, James Dunqua. All this time in which women have been saying that they don't want to date men who are emotionally unavailable, who don't share their same values, who are just generally speaking horrible human beings. What, you, you just thought that they were joking? <laughs> you actually thought that people wanted to date you being the physical manifestation of a landfill. No, they don't want that. And it doesn't matter how good you look or how alpha you are, you know, people don't want to date other people who are horrible human beings, you know? And we're going to continue to see this trend of more single lonely men if we do not humble ourselves and start treating other human beings well. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think the, the longer clip kind of alluded to it's not as unfortunately a big wave of men who are blaming women for them being single. You know, that this, you know, being rejected and then this leading to the most horrendous attitudes and activities and actions um, in some ways as well. Well, another way society has kind of not played in men, men's favour is that it did not teach them how to take rejection. Mm-hmm. That rejection is part of being, it's part of dating. If you're out there dating, you expect that 50% of the time you're going to be rejected. It is Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer, and a growing number of men are facing being lonely and single because their relationship skills are not good enough to impress, sorry, impress increasingly selective women. This is according to Psychology Today, Dr. Greg Matos, um, claiming this and an awful lot of people agreeing, um, including our counselling psychologist and managing director of B-Psychologist Reem Shaheen is with us, taking my questions, most importantly yours, and your comments as well. Emma saying, just out of a long-term relationship because of the lack of emotion connection skills on his part you can bet I'm going to be highly selective once I decide to pursue a relationship and in the meantime I'm going to live my best life good for you um so let's go to that third explanation that is offered in terms of why men are not making the connections that they need and it's the dating apps I mean what's the what's the issue here the thing with the dating apps is first of all it's 62 percent men really yeah 62% 62% of app, of dating apps users are men. So you've got women on there getting the cream of the crop. Exactly. <laughs> so women get to be very selective. So the probability of even going on a first date mm-hmm. um, is a lot lower mm-hmm. for a man. So you, again, it's very competitive. Let's offer some solutions. <laughs> How do you think men, can, and when I say up the game, listen, I, I, that sounds patronizing. What I really mean is kind of work on the, the communication skills that so many women are demanding. Mm-hmm. It's, that's a big job. That's a big thing. One, yes. to acknowledge that you might be lacking in that area. And two, to actually make a, a tangible improvement. Where can you even start? I think it, it, it starts first with acknowledging that most people have communication skills, even even women. We're not saying that women do not have communication skills. I've got over communication <laughs> skills. <laughs> so, 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 so working on that is, is, is an ongoing process throughout your life. It's just 
what we mean by communication skills in relationships is being able to identify your own needs in a relationship and then being able to communicate them to your partner. Mm -hmm. This is what I need. This is what upsets me. This is what makes me feel insecure. So so that it, it becomes easier for your partner to navigate the relationship with you. But I think I think we as women do this as well. We expect men to be mind readers. And yes. unfortunately, so much unhappiness and disconnection is because of that gap between expectation and reality. <laughs> exactly. But again, the difference that happened over the years is that women have been pushed one way or another into um, therapy, of course, but also other ways of, of alternative therapies and alternative internal work on your relationship with yourself that has got them to learn how to communicate a lot better than men. Let's so have this a, is where the gap is. Let's hear from Albert, who's been mm -hmm. in touch on the phone line. Men between the ages of 30 and 50 grew up in the era where we had certain uh, social uh, stigmas that was attached to expressing our emotions. So, you know, we were taught to not cry about certain things. We were taught to just deal with our issues and we weren't taught to kind of express ourselves emotionally. And I think as times have changed, it's okay to cry, it's okay to express yourself. But when it comes down to women raising the bar, I think that's always been the case. I think women have always been more emotionally intelligent in relationship aspects than men. It will take some education between people that's from those age ranges of 30 to 50 to kind of grow. Thanks, Albert. Are you single? <laughs> I've got some women here looking. Um, but you mentioned um, needs there. And I, yes. I, I wanted to see if we could perhaps very briefly unpack kind of needs versus wants in relationships. Because I, I have a single male friend who's very lovely. And he gave me, oh, I'm looking for a young Bridget Bardot. And I was like, with respect, dude. <laughs> You're pushing 50 now, and I think we might need to manage those expectations. <laughs> what about needs and wants? I mean, there are two completely different things, because wants is just what you desire, what you're, the, the gratification of the now, while needs is more about what is going to help you on your journey, depending mm -hmm. on your values. So if you value growth and development and empathy and connection, then the kind of relationship that you would be looking for is very, very different than a man who's looking for a younger Bridget Bordeaux. And if you are a younger Bridget Bordeaux, message me on 4001. Yes. I've got a nice man <laughs> for you. Reem, thank you so much. If anyone is looking to address their what they're going through as a single person or indeed in a relationship, um, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Um, you can reach me out on my Insta account. It's Kun with Reem, R-E-E-M, Kun, K-U-N. And then um, you can reach us on the clinic, info at bpsychologycenter.com. Thank you so much for your time. A Thank really, you for having really me, really interesting Helen. one. And uh, guys, I believe in you. And there are so many gorgeous women out there who just want to have a decent conversation. Will you just give it to them? <laughs> Absolute superstar as ever. Downtown Design just kicks off on Wednesday and as part of Dubai Design Week. And one of the keynote speakers is the award-winning designer and author, Kelly Hoppin, CBE. She has got more than four decades of experience in the interiors business that designed everything from retail to hospitality spaces, private homes, resorts, yachts, 
even aircraft interiors. And today she joins us in the studio. Kelly, thank you so much for making time. I really do appreciate it. Welcome back to Dubai. Thank you. We're also going to be talking about um, an exciting project that you're launching right here in the UAE. And we've already had a couple of questions, people wanting to pick your Perfect. Uh, pick your brains. And I know you do an awful lot of that on social media, kind of asking, you know, helping people with their design issues. And I just wondered what are some of the most common issues that people come to you with? The public, I mean. It's a funny thing because people find it very hard to create something in their home, whereas they can go into their wardrobe and pick clothes. And I always try and explain to people that if you use the same part of the brain to choose what you're going to wear in your home, you can make it work, but people go into a panic. Mm -hmm. So it's about looking at the space. And I always say, move this, do that. And they go, oh, okay. So it's little things that can make a huge difference in your home. I think some of it comes back to, well, confidence and cost as well. You know, it's one thing to buy, you know, a shirt is another thing to buy a sofa. Yeah. You know, and, and, and taking taking that leap. And obviously you've had so much experience in this and have worked, as I said, across all sorts of different projects. Um, can we talk about your new project? Yes, you can. So in Dubai, um, where there's a really exciting collaboration um, to Lala Gaff called Island Estates which sounds, I mean, it sounds like a resort in itself. Tell well, us it's, more. It's amazing because it's, it's going to be built around a lake and these villas are extraordinary. And Sioto, who's an incredible architect out of South Africa, um, has created these extraordinary buildings of which we are doing the interiors, but it's all about the inside-outside mixing together. And what we've done is create four amazing different schemes that are, I think, groundbreaking in terms of what anyone will have seen in, in Dubai. And the timing is right. It's, I'm thrilled to be here. And it's, it's a real labor of love, this project, and how we created it and how we came up with the concepts. But more importantly, how people live in their home now is, is quite different. I think people are more aware of their, their homes because of what we've lived through with COVID. What's spending an awful lot more time yes. in them. I think that's exactly right. And that can be to do with, you know, separation of spaces and, you know, kind of perceptions of what how spaces are used. But also I think people need their home to be a sanctuary right now. Yeah. And I think that before people did up their homes in a way that they did them so that they looked nice. I think now the difference is people are doing them and actually appreciating the spaces. Mm. And as you say, how they're going to divide the spaces and how families live in them, which is funnily enough, you go back sort of 40 years when I first started writing about interiors. I always talked about the zoning of homes then and how important it was. And I think that was based on my grandmother's home and how I felt in that home, which is kind of what spurred me to do what I do today. It's about the feeling that you have in a home. What's your biggest design pet peeve? Clutter. Oh, really? Yeah. And it does, do you have clutter, Kelly Hoppin? And is it, I do. Is, is it just the very... Bathroom, <laughs> bathroom covers are cluttered because you collect things, don't you? Um, but yeah, I'm trying to sort that out. But otherwise, no clutter. How do you feel about Marie Kondo, though? Are you, what's your declutter method of choice? Well, I actually think she's place. brilliant. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. I'm not sure I could roll all my clothes, though. I do when I pack. But no, I think, you know, things like that are really interesting and they're useful. It's not a fad. And I think actually, unless something brings you joy and you're not going to use it, I think we're creatures where we collect things and want things and want more. And actually, if you can scale down what you have in your wardrobe, it's easier to get dressed mm-hmm. and use the products that you like. It's 
better. No brainer. Yeah. Um, Kelly, you had, I don't need me to tell you, a hugely successful career and uh, still some incredible projects coming up. I mean, I was really surprised to learn that you had a diagnosis of dyslexia. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How did that come about? Well, my daughter was diagnosed of it. So I went through school not knowing. I thought I was just very stupid and couldn't spell and read. Were you labelled as such at school? Stupid. Yeah, kind of. And that's why I left school early and started a business at 16 and a half. However, I talk a lot about dyslexia to people and say to them, don't think of it as a disability. I actually am so glad that I am because a dyslexic person deals with problems much better because we have to simplify everything. And in business, if you're building a business and growing a business, instead of having loads of papers and spreadsheets and stuff, if you simplify things onto one piece of paper, it also gives you the ability to have an incredibly uh, creative mind. So you're very visual. So if you told me to learn something now to memorize it, I would have to use images to learn how to do it. So there are so many tools today. Um, And I think that if a parent sees that a child is struggling, it's a, they're very easy ways that you can help your children today. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just think of it as a positive rather than a negative. Superpower. Um, a message here from Justine saying, where does Kelly look for inspiration? Oh, anything. Well, travel, obviously, but anything from buying shoes to buying food to listening to music, laughing, meeting new people. Um, do you know the thing about... Uh, inspiration is always being open to it. And you don't have to be conscious of it. But I know when I go back to London, having been in Dubai, something will happen. I'll think, do you know what? That came from that. So it's being open to being inspired. Mm -hmm. And I think when you open those channels in your mind, you're always inspired, like being able to visualize things. So it's a process of teaching yourself not to think about it, if that well, makes sense. Yeah, not to chase it. Yeah. Um, and Mallory's saying, love Kelly. Any advice for renters who want to make a house feel like a home without too much commitment? Absolutely. Big, big thing here. Yeah, so lighting's very easy. You can plug in lights, do up lighters. You can put rugs down. You can create quite interesting curtaining where you put them on rods that you can then take away. So drape like runners on. You can cover sofas if they're sofas that are in the rental adding on different cushions. But lighting, really, and floor coverings are the things that are key. You can also paint a panel, for example, on a piece of MDF and put it up against a wall to change the look of something and put some kind of lighting behind. So it's things that are movable that you can take away with you that isn't going to that you can take to your next rental. And it won't cause you to lose yeah, your deposit. exactly. Um, you are here as part of Dubai Design Week. What are you going to be talking about on that keynote, Kelly Hoppin? I have no idea. You'll have to wait and hear. I mean, everything about inspiration, about design, about, you know, the youth of today in terms of how people want to expand their creativity and their business, um, what inspires me, anything to do with design. And the interesting thing is it's not always just about design. Your life is what inspires you. And so you have to put yourself out there to be inspired, to be creative. So, um all of that kind of thing. And also, I hope, an awful lot of inspiration there at Dubai Design Week as well. It's an Instagram paradise for anyone that hasn't been. And you, your eyes are just on stores. Oh, I can't wait. It's, it is. It's, it's a really, really special bringing together of, of talent and products and ideas. If you had a crystal ball... What kind of trends do you think we're going to be seeing when it comes to interiors over the next few years? Well, I'm not a great favour of trends, as everyone knows, because I don't think, I think they, uh, they're 
short-lived. I think people have to look and see what it is that they want in their home and they have to create what works for them. I do think that less is more, neutrals, pops of colour, people will collect art, things that make them feel happy. Mm -hmm. And I think movable homes, movable spaces that people will be able to live in. Um, Ali is asking where to save and where to splurge. Great question. Oh, God, saving's difficult, isn't it? All right, let's just talk splurging. Let's just talk splurging. <laughs> um, I think splurging is a bit like when you, when you go out and you buy yourself a piece of clothing and you spend that little bit more on something that has quality and you know is going to last. Yeah, and you think about price per Yeah, wear. so splurge on something that you know is going to give you great value but also is going to lo- last a long time. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, budget your homes. You know, sit down work out what you want, do your boards, figure it out, cost it, because otherwise you'll end up with 10 of the little black dresses in your wardrobe and it won't work and you will have wasted the money. Do you have a most treasured possession in your home? Something that might not even make aesthetic sense to you, but you just, Um, it's just absolute delight for you. I think probably pieces of like, objects that people have given me that mean nothing to anybody else but to me I look at them and just think mm-hmm. it's a memory yeah mm-hmm. and for anyone that wants to follow you on Instagram which I do urge you to because I said you do brilliant kind of clinics and you don't just talk about design as you mentioned there it's about designing your life it's about mindset an awful lot of the time and offering ideas and inspiration what's the best way to give you a follow Kelly Hoppin just follow me and message me and I do go through them all and, and try and message people back but yeah I mean I I haven't done much content in the last few months, but we're about to do more because I love listening to what people have to say and hearing people and and just sharing my thoughts and anxieties and all the things that we all go through and have gone through. But, you know, it's brighter times, happier times, and we have to stay positive. Sun is shining. Yeah. Great to have you in Dubai, Kelly. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, The collaboration is called Island Estates. And yeah, can't wait to see all that come to life. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Kelly Hoppen, CBE, who is going to be there as part of Dubai Design Week. Downtown Design as one of the keynote speakers. Talking leadership on the show this afternoon. If you've got any questions, our next guest is absolutely the right person to ask. Susie Robinson is a consultant and expert in the field of HR and talent management. Decades of experience. She's based out of the UK, but does consult internationally. And her book, Transform to Outperform, Seven Powers to Transform You, Your Team and Your Results, launched just a couple of weeks ago, uh, rocketing to number one spot on Amazon's hot new releases and ranked with the top three best-selling books in business management and leadership category. So firstly, I want to say, Susie, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to have you in the studio today. And we've already had a number of messages from people. And that doesn't really surprise when we think about kind of what's happening in the world and how a lot of people's roles have either been redefined or changed over the last couple of years. But I wanted to ask you personally, who are some of the leaders that you most admire? I guess the most obvious one, and he's often admired by many people, is, of course, Nelson Mandela. But he was the inspiration for my book, so that's why I mention him. Send him a copy. I know, I know, (laughs) if only. I know. He was, of course, the, you know, someone that over his lifetime transformed massively. I mean, we we think of his life after he he came out of prison, but he transformed throughout his time in prison, learning about his enemies, coming to terms with his situation, but never never giving up on his passion, which was freedom. So his his whole transformation journey is part of what inspired me to to write this as 
yeah. And and some of the learnings since that, reading that, that. I think that's a really interesting answer because we think of Nelson Mandela being obviously such such an inspirational man in so many ways. And when I think of leaders, I think of business leaders. And political leaders, yes, but I think you can be a leader in many facets of your life, you know, in whether that is in your home or in the workplace or your community. Um, we actually have had a message asking about how to get leadership experience outside of work, which I think is a really great question, which we're going to come to as well. But um, tell us a little bit about the book. What were you looking to communicate with it? You see? It's this whole intoxicating idea of outperformance. Everybody wants to outperform. Well, if you outperform or to outperform, you have to transform yourself first. So transformation starts with you as a leader. You start to transform yourself and then you transform your team and the culture around you. And eventually you start to peak, your performance starts to peak and your team go with you. You, you, you go through this sort of double helix of performance. So this this transformation of yourself, that's where it starts. You have to aim for the next big goal if you think you're um you're comfortable at the moment don't be transform you need to start that transformation journey really tiring susie can we we not just be a bit comfortable for a Mm, while not for too long (laughs) so where are people getting it wrong when it comes to leadership And, and that might be in themselves but also failing their team I think uh, in disruptive times, uh, behaviours sometimes of leaders, I think I've, I've, I've been through that myself. I remember years ago going through a difficult merger and finding myself uh, behaving almost sulking and, and unhappy with the world. And then that, that conveys a message to your team and they start to lose inspiration. So I think remembering to stay above it all when you're, when, you know, people are looking to you during difficult times for... Mm-hmm. Um, for inspiration they're, they're like like uh, you watch a, a cabin crew on an aeroplane you know when you if you're a nervous flyer they need you to give them some reassurance that things will be okay and so on so you need to really take a hold of yourself during the, disruptive times the, the port in the storm absolutely um, we actually have a question on exactly that topic um, P asking and by the way you can get in touch with us here at Dubai Eye on the SMS 4001 our WhatsApp is 04871 and you've of course got the ARN play app too you can be anonymous this message simply says P saying any insights on leadership during time of crisis or turbulence our company is going through a tough time and tougher times are coming how can i be there for my team and communicate bad news to our clients um so i'll start with the the communicating to your clients i mean i think the, the simple answer to that is do communicate because i think everybody starts to hold information back and and then people start to read smoke signals and, and that's and catastrophize. never absolutely catastrophize and that's not a, a great thing so getting out there and talking to your to your customers explaining starting the dialogue dialogue is important for your team it's important for your customers just keep them informed don't mystery doesn't motivate you know it's not exciting so uh, keep keep them uh, included. I mean, I remember talking to some customers when we were going to make some massive change at one point, and the fact that we talked. I mean, they raged about it at the time, but even the most unreasonable, we just had to talk, listen, active listening, active listening, extreme listening. This is you know, just just uh, listening hard, making sure that you collect that information, and making sure you respond to their issues mm-hmm. so go back and and delight them with your ability to respond and the fact that you've taken it into account it makes all the difference so they you people understand you know they're all going through similar things and you touched on those turbulent times earlier about being that 
and I don't say positive force. It's not about coming in and you know slapping a smile on your face when things are horrible, but being the port in the storm, being there for reassurances and answers. But what else? What other leadership qualities can be really beneficial during difficult times in a company? I think um, well, a similar theme, I guess. But be be agile, not fragile. You have to be able to turn with the times, which means pull your team together. And network and look outward. People tend to, in, in difficult times, look inward and they, they, they draw in and start to um, protect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not, a, that's not a great position to be. You need to be in a position of growth, which is looking outward. Draw information from your networks. Ask for, ask for ideas. Include the team. And that's absolutely the way to, to, to weather the storm. It sounds like, and I might be misinterpreting this, but a bit of humility as well sometimes. Absolutely. Humility is a, is a core requirement of a, a great leader. Susie Robinson's book, Transform to Outperform, The Seven Powers to Transform You, Your Team and Your Results, launched at the end of October. Susie is a consultant and expert in the field of HR and talent management and is, well, I'm picking her brains and so are you. Lots of messages coming in on 4001 on the topic of leadership and you can be completely anonymous if you prefer. Um, Susie, a message here saying, I recently changed jobs and have moved into more of a senior position. It's not quite the leadership team, but I'm finding I am much more often in the situation of being the most senior person in the room or the senior go-to for a client. I'm good at my job, but still learning this new aspect of my role and looking for practical tips to override my default introvert, submissive, people-pleasing ways and come across more confident to gain trust and ensure my clients and my team have confidence in me. I'm also overweight, which I feel is a disadvantage. Thank you. Can we talk about the overweight thing first? Do you think that's a disadvantage? So I guess, no, I don't. Absolutely not. Um, but I do know how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. I've been there many times. Always, Me too. Always there. Um, but I think, yeah, you step above that. I think most people see through that and see what... What, what value what, you Absolutely, what value you bring. So please don't let weight get in the way. That's your own inner demons working over and... And, you know, yes, image can be important in certain places, but, but just concentrate on your distinctive personality, what's special about you, what you bring, and, and that stuff will probably take care of itself eventually. I absolutely would not let weight get in the way of your, your um, doing a great job with your team. So my, my advice is really uh, that it's that to get in, in touch with what is distinct about you. And I talk about this in the book. It's about your personal power. So you've got this personality. You've got these strengths. Get Become aware of them. And, and in particular, become away, aware of the way you communicate. Don't try to hide that introverted personality. That's you. That's what's made you successful so far. You just, you just communicate with mystique, which is a much more reserved communication. But believe me, when you speak, you probably make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But what you perhaps need is a little more power, which is um, opinion, uh, conviction. So think about the things that you believe in, the things that are important to you and what you want to convey to your team. It conveys authority. Um, so be very clear about your opinions don't be humble about your opinions if you think something's right and you've got some good rationale for that then then step out use your mystique to to communicate selectively but use power to push forward your personality and i think you'll find that should help you along the way great answer you deserve to be in that room um and a message here saying how can a leader retain his or her team what are the main things you might need to change in leadership style so staff team retention great question 
Absolutely. I think leadership style, there's loads of styles. And um, I think the most successful styles generally are those that are democratic and um, creative, authoritative, um, least if you're if you're a little bit demanding and autocratic, those are the things that will drive people away at certain times. But everybody needs a little bit of that sometime. Um, so, so definitely think about your leadership style. I think then it's all about the experience you create for people at work. So mm-hmm. you need to create the extraordinary experience. This is a combination of um, ma- making the opportunity for people to to demonstrate flow. You know, this is where they get the right level of challenge to meet their skills, but they're able to level up constantly, um, where you give them, you let them focus, you give them plenty of feedback, lots of dynamic coaching, which keeps people energised. Don't stay away from your team. Connect with them, talk to them. They really value your advice and help. I think the other thing is look for the opportunity to make ordinary moments extraordinary. So, elevate moments of transition for example somebody is changing jobs or uh, uh, they've just joined the organization you can do so much more with orientation than you that you think you can there's and it's a way to excite people so all those things the, it, it infects the other members of the team when they see it but just try to create extraordinary unforgettable moments at work and people will connect and also build great symbiotic teams and the world will come together thanks susie i wanted to ask you about age have you seen in someone very young you know early 20s and think right they've got it to be a great leader or is it something that tends to develop with experience I think it's uh distinctly there in some people Uh, for some it does take experience it really is that so you see some people they seem to have their their personal power and their superpower very early on in their lives and they, they seem drawn to a passion and an inspiration and they they follow that in a way that um, drives them so they're performing and delivering very early in their life and then there are other people that it takes a lifetime of mastery and suddenly they perform a masterpiece you know they create a masterpiece so I think there's there's room for both of those and they're absolutely some people seem born whether they are or not they're just Get in touch with that passion, and that's another hint, I think. Find your your primal passion, follow that in the work that you do, and I think you'll be a great leader, naturally. And I just wanted to ask a little bit about the book. You talked about the seven transformative powers. Can you briefly outline those for us? Yes, uh, I'll summarise a 300-page book. <laughs> if you could, in, <laughs> in a, a minute and a half. <laughs> yeah, so, so there are seven powers. The powers are personal power, uh, which leads to superpower. Then we have um, goal power, process power, uh, people power, uh, culture power. And then at the end, there's smart power and staying power. So personal power is this this issue of getting in touch with your personality and um, becoming aware of it, but, but reframing your convictions, your opinions, just as we talked about earlier, and engaging with the world with that special something. If you've got your personal power going on, you'll be do, doing great in your job. That's not superpower, but that's just, that's just you being you and bringing something special. Your superpower is something different. So superpower comes with a, a reinvention of yourself, with, with greater mastery, um, with, um, what's my other little uh, hints? With, you, you build superpower with your, your team, your supporting team. You can't have superpower without your team. So there's a way in which when you, when you have superpower, in personal power, you have a level of influence that's great within your area of influence. If you have superpower, your influence is much wider. So it's something that you 
uh, it's the, the extraordinary influence that you get after you create a, a great piece of work or a masterpiece or a great performance. The ripple effects are well beyond that. So you, you can develop um, superpower. That's, that's um, the, the whole personal side of things. Then you have process power, which is all about if you're going to transform something, you've got to do the, the hard Correct. slog to yeah. get the stuff in place. Goal power is absolutely that, but it's much more about the purpose, the vision, the compelling words that that turn the vision into magic and bring it to life for people and connect with emotions. So that type of thing. Um, uh, goal people power is is the real important stuff. A, a company is nothing without its people. It's just a piece of paper and it's formed and legislated for, but it's nothing until the people come and build something and make something. So it's how do you create that people power? So that's all about the stuff we've, we've been discussing. Culture power then is when it, it starts to create a flywheel effect. If you have a great culture, and I, I have the culture is called the space program that I, I recommend within the book, you, the, the, you can't help but become better and better. If you've got this culture right, space stands for the right leadership style, uh, a people culture, accountability culture, customer intimacy and excellence. If you if you focus on those four core areas, you might have other features of your culture, but you, you are going to make a significant impact. Susie, we've run out of time. I have run out of questions. So thank you so, so much. We'd love to have you on again, whether it is when you're back in Dubai or over on the Zoom to. and Teams. Thank you so, so. In the meantime, where can people find the book? On Amazon. Uh, it's the easiest place to go. It's on Amazon everywhere at the moment. So there you go. Susie Robinson, Transform to Outperform. If you want the link for Amazon, drop me a little line on 4001. I'd be very happy to send it your way. Joining us live on the line, legal eagle superstar extraordinaire, Ludmilla Malava. And um, if you do have any questions of her, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As I said, we've already had a number spanning all sorts of different aspects of the law from employment contracts, construction chaos, and some made visa queries as well. Ludmilla, how are you? I am well, thank you very much. Good. Good, good, good. Well, I hope you've had your coffee because we are going to be discussing an awful lot over the course of the next hour. I would like to have a little chat about some of the headlines first. A couple of visas that we've had questions about, and I know you have had two. One is job seekers visa and the other is the probation visa. Can you unpack those for us and explain what we need to know in terms that even I would understand my legal friend? Indeed. So job seekers visa is a new type of visa that is now has been made available under the new UAE law, which is the Kevin Resolution number 65 2022, which we've talked about before. Uh, but now this specific visa is the first of its kind and is specifically targeted for job seekers. Interestingly enough, it is a self-sponsored visa. So this particular visa does not require a guarantor, a host party, as was the case before. Uh, and it is available for applicants of uh, two categories. One, uh, they're called experienced worker in the first, second, or third professional level as for the classifications under the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization, and it can be found on their website as to who falls in that category. And or it is available for recent graduate who is no more than two years uh, past, past graduation uh, from one of the best uh, 500 universities in the world. Again, in accordance with the classifications by the UAE Ministry of Education, which is available on their website in terms of who the 500 uh, top universities are in the world. 
Also, the applicants must have a minimum of educational um, uh, bachelor, de bachelor degree in terms of educational level or the equivalent. Uh, and they have to pay what's called a financial security, which is an amount of a thousand to two thousand dirhams, depending on kind of the circumstances. And this particular visa, you can apply for three types of uh, job seekers visa. One, either for 60 days, another one either for 90 days or for 120 days. And each one of these visas can be extendable for the same period of time. So the, I guess the, the summary of this is that this is a visa specifically for those who want to come into the UAE and explore mm -hmm. uh, employment opportunities. And uh, at a high level, they're available for university graduates with at least a bachelor degree. Uh, and um, they can allow you to stay in the country for um, uh, more than days. six months. Wow. Okay. Yeah, as you say, extendable accordingly, which takes on to then the probation visa. Who's that for? Okay, the probation visa, now unlike the job seekers visa, the probation visa does require a sponsor. And the sponsor has to be either the company that is planning to hire you to uh, to work for them or the recruitment agency, which is hiring you to to work for somebody else in the company. So the, this particular visa does require a sponsor. Uh, and it's often called as a business mission visa. And so it could be either for those who are coming on a probation basis or for a temporary project. And once again, we did not have this type of specific visa. So this is uh, the first one of its kind. Uh, and it can be applied by a sponsor who is either a government entity or a private company or a free zone company. Uh, and, um, um, and then it allows you to stay in the country again for either 60 days or 90 days, or it can be up to 120 days, depends on the circumstances. And uh, again, this is a very specific visa just for the purposes of probation. So it's great news because I have to tell you how many cases we've seen where companies hire someone or somebody comes mm -hmm. into the UAE and works in the visit visa mm -hmm. until they've basically proven themselves or until the company has ultimately tested the employee and decided to whether, whether they want or do not want to hire them full time. And every single time and every one of those instances that existed in the past actually were illegal because you could never work in the UAE on a visit visa before. Well, this leads me to ask you something because a friend of ours sent me a resume of a nanny saying she's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, this is what her expected salary is. She wants live in, blah, blah, blah. And I've sent it on to a couple of different people who I know to be, you know, looking. Um, and one has got back saying we'd want to do a month's trial with her. Do you think she'd be open to that? So I'm, I'm curious then, is that legal? If you're asking for domestic help to do a trial period, whether that is a week or a month, is that legal? Because technically they're not on your visa, your sponsorship at that point at all. It's before you put your hand in your pocket, basically. Right. It's a great question. And it depends on what particular what immigration status she is at that point in time. So she could be, for example, employed by uh, by someone else uh, uh, currently by another family and they are planning to let her go. So she technically speaking, she still has a valid working visa, a, a, a domestic uh, a domestic service servants visa, which ultimately allows her to provide services as domestic employee in the country. So if she goes and she works for you for one month, as long as there is an agreement between the two families, in, in legal terms, there's nothing illegal about that. However, if she's here, for example, on an expired visa, which is often the case, and now she's trying out working for you for a month, uh, in technical terms, that is illegal because she is working for you on uh, on an expired visa, which is against the law. Okay. Or if she's here on on a visit visa, on the tourist visa, tourist visa does not allow you to work. 
Um, so that too would be illegal in technical terms. Now we know this happens all too often. People do it and nobody ever gets in trouble. But in legal terms, that would be improper. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Helen with you. Olive Malia Malava from HPL. The Malavan Pluka is live on the line. We are going to the text line, Ludmilla. Let's start with this one. Anonymous message. And as I always say, if you'd rather be anonymous, I completely, completely understand. I know if we're talking about, my goodness, all sorts of aspects of the law, whether it's divorce, gratuity, uh, anything happening at work, then this can be pretty crucial. We're talking construction, though, and a message saying major construction has commenced on the adjacent plot, a quiet residential area, and there is piling, hammering, land levelling compaction going on all day. This entails a huge metal ball being raised and dropped by a high crane every two to three minutes. Apart from the rather loud noise and level of disturbance, this exercise causes tremors. Our main concern now and question is, as we own our villas, who is liable for any possible structural cracks or damage caused by this method? There are signs of hairline cracks that could worsen structural damage. Is the developer or the contractor liable? The developer owner for our villas is the same as the new project. Is the UA contractor or developer required to have relevant damage insurance and how do we demand a copy of it? Needless to confirm, this developer refuses to interact or respond to raise concerns. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Just the thought of that noise. It's giving me goosebumps in a bad way indeed, Ludmilla. So I do really feel for you, anonymous listener. Ludmilla, where does this this villa owner stand? So there, it's a multifaceted question. So one is I would recommend that um, to follow up with the Dubai municipality because any excessive construction noise still, uh, has to be subject or is subject to uh, Dubai municipality and different regulations in in terms of the um, when the noise can be um, can be conducted, you know, which hours of the day, to what extent, and so there are a number of preventive measures that can be done around the construction site. Uh, to soften at least the noise and the damage to the surrounding areas. I mean, this is there are regulations that exist to basically to be able to mitigate at least the extent of the destruction and nuisance that's coming from the construction sites. Uh, so one, I would say, uh, check in with the Dubai municipality and see if, for example, this uh, contractor has the right license and permits to conduct um, that kind of level of noise pollution at those hours. Uh, and there could be either a fine or some sort of intervention that, that will take place from the municipality. With regards to the damage to the property, uh, the uh, who would be responsible for this? Uh, it could be both. It could be the new the the, uh, the new construction company and could also be the developer because uh, the construction company can make the argument that it's while well, the building in, in its original state was built uh, on a flawed foundation and therefore the cracks are appearing because the building was poorly built and not because so much uh, because of the noise. So it really depends. And I would say if it were if it were to come to it, if you actually do experience significant construction damage, you may want to file a case against both and let them battle it out in court in terms of who is responsible. Now, with regards to the, uh, the construction insurance, um, you would hope that they would have insurance because it certainly would facilitate uh, their ability to pay you for the compensation uh, to your property. Uh, but in terms of your rights to request a copy of that insurance policy, uh, logically, they you should be able to have a copy of it. But in practical terms, you'll never get it. The developer will tell you you have no capacity to request that document uh, and you may only be able to access it through the courts. 
but certainly there is a court case uh, that you can file against both companies and especially if the damage to the property is significant. This is your legal clinic and I'm hoping we can get through as many questions as possible. Lumilia Malava from HPL, Lumalava and Paluka is live on the line and we've just been talking about property. We had a message earlier saying, I have construction going on on both sides of my villa. The dust I live with is unbearable. Community management has been less than helpful and I now have a lung infection because of all the dust I'm breathing in. Can't even sit in the garden. I'm distraught. Nowhere else to go. I've got videos and other neighbours feel the same way. What are my options? It depends on whether the listener owns the property or is renting it. Because if you rent the property, you could just terminate the um, the rental agreement on account that you are not getting the full benefit of the property. And you could not just um, terminate the agreement early, but you could also potentially seek uh, reimbursement for some of the uh, rent that you've paid. That's if the property is rented. Now, if the property is owned, it's a lot more complex because you don't you can't just abandon the property just like this. Now, Again, I would recommend that the reporting to the municipality, it should be an option or should be at least uh, explored uh, because the municipality can potentially intervene and uh, mitigate at least some of the impact of such of such heavy construction. And alternatively, or in addition, especially if you have reported to the municipality, you will have some kind of record of it, ideally. Uh, then you could also file a civil case against the developers uh, that are constructing around you and causing you sort of damage, but you need to be prepared to substantiate the damages. And so in this particular case, since you developed lung infection, if you have any kind of medical bills or any other uh, significant expenses that you can, or bills that you can, uh, you can prove that you've actually suffered financial damage because of this um, interference, um, then you might be, I mean, you can file certainly a civil case and you will be able to at least claim compensation for those damages you can substantiate. Um, so uh, unfortunately, this is um, happens all too often, but mm-hmm. there is definitely recourse. It's just the recourse may may require for you to file against a developer and potentially even the management company uh, for for them failing to, to um, uh, mitigate uh, to the extent that perhaps they have authority to do so. Okay, thanks, Liv Miller. Really hope that helps and hope you feel better soon. Staying with property, uh, we got a call earlier from Zane talking about off-plan and payments. Uh, hi, Helen. I own a property in Dubai. It's an off-plan property and I'm paying per month. So they've asked me for a check, so I'm paying every month by a check. But three or four occasions, I've had to replace the check and I've paid instead by credit card. They're assuring me that uh, they'll replace the check, um, but it's in another office location, so they'll courier it to me. Twice it's happened now where they've uh, instead submitted the check to the bank and it's gotten bounced. If I'm not wrong, that's affecting my ECB score. And when I'm reaching out to the developers, they're letting me know that it's an internal lapse in their communication. Um, And they cannot assist me, uh, but they can give me a letter of apology. But it doesn't really get me anywhere. So I'd just like to know if I could take any legal action on this, in terms of just uh, rectifying my AECB score, since I've already made the payment. It's just another payment method. Saying sounds hugely frustrating. So making payments, they're taking two payments, check is bouncing. Um, in his words, lack of communication between their officers. Mother, I can see you smiling in a, oh man, heard this before, way. Zane's not yes. alone, it sounds like. <laughs> So the number of times I've heard these kinds of cases, if I could get a penny for every one of these cases, I would 
I would have to, uh, I could have been retired by now. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, that's my always advice. So whenever you, or if you have checks out there that you've issued, do not uh, try to to pay for those uh, installments in any other ways until you have received actually that check back before you pay. Because unfortunately, we've heard too many cases where these kinds of promises are being given. Yes, yes, yeah, don't worry about it. You just pay now, we will return the check. But until you actually get a physical copy of the check in your hands, you remain to be uh, at, at risk, as is the case here. Um, so case in point. So um, I get there. There are some that's unfortunate. So don't, don't make any more payments moving forward until you actually have received not only the checks for those installments, but also the checks back for the, the previous months. Uh, and in terms of what you can do next, you can file a complaint to the, or uh, make a request to the central bank to uh, update your record on the grounds that you actually didn't really balance those checks. You know, those checks were uh, fraudulently presented. And so there is there's a recourse for the central bank. We just need to manage expectations. Sometimes it requires a little bit of a little bit of follow up. Uh, but so that's one way. There is definitely a recourse to try to clear your record. Uh, and then ultimately, I'd say you could also file a complaint against a developer or you file a case against them. If you actually once again, if you're, for example, suffering actual damages as a result of your changed uh, score, uh, for example, you were denied a loan then you would have proof that you've suffered uh, actual damages. Then you can file a case against the developer for compensation. But in that case, it only makes sense if you actually can substantiate the actual damages. Okay, thanks, Ludmilla. Um, Saying with damages, Chris has been in touch saying, question on the car accident. Car was hit by a delivery driver. I received the green report. Do civil courts allow for compensation for one, loss of use while being repaired? Car is finance, meaning um, meaning the monthly payment. And two, the reduction in value in resale after being repaired due to accident history. Interesting question. Certainly, yes. Uh, and I would say um, some of it could also even be covered by insurance if you lost value in, in the property as a result of an accident and it was not your fault. I would say even insurance should compensate you for the difference, but if not, then yes, a civil case, certainly you, there's, there's a, a grounds for civil case against the other side for the difference or for the, for the val- difference in, in value of the property or the car. Okay, all the best, Chris, and um, I'm sure I'll have some money. Most of it's mine, <laughs> if it's a delivery company. Um, anonymous message saying, um, eligible for golden visa, but financially can only do for myself, not my family. Is that possible or is it must do both together? Nothing in a year or so extend, intend to extend to family is golden. Also, can it be exchanged between Dubai and Abu Dhabi later? Grateful for your answers. Uh, so uh, absolutely, there's no obligation to sponsor your entire family under the golden visa. That's optional. So you absolutely can get and can apply for golden visa just for yourself. And then the family is up to you when, if ever, you want to sponsor them as well. So if financially you're not able to carry the burden, then certainly you can do it when you can. Uh, now, just so you, so, so you know, actually, the, the fees, the immigration fees for family are, are less, for the golden visa are less than the, the ordinary immigration fees, for example, to sponsor under the employment visa. And so they're about 4,000 dirhams per person versus, you know, I guess, the, the more ordinary visa, which is about seven, seven and a half thousand dirhams. So if, if that's the constraint, then bear that in mind. Uh, so it may be more affordable than you think. One, two, depends on, on how you, what made you eligible for, uh, for the golden visa. For example, if you are, if you receive this or become eligible because of your academic qualifications as a, as a distinguished student, uh, then you're not required to show financial uh, standing or financial ability in order to uh, sponsor your family. Okay. So it really depends. You see, even there's this, there's subcategories of golden visa and the corresponding requirements. 
Let me, thank you. Uh, so and then, then I guess oh. there was a sub question about yeah. switching between the Emirates. Yes, Abu Dhabi I don't Dubai. know. Yeah, I don't know what you why you want to do that because the golden visa it's it's a federal visa. It's mm -hmm. a visa into the UAE. I don't know why you'd want to cancel one and apply for the other, but certainly you can always cancel the visa if you think you qualify under a different visa. But remember, golden visas in particular under the new law, they're issued by the ICA, that's the Identification Citizens Authority, which is the federal authority. So while you, so your visa would actually be federal visa. Ludmilla, thank you. We've had some serious quick-fire questions there. We have had a couple that we weren't able to get to. So if that was your case, here asking about um, rental increases, also had a message about cybercrime. We will put them for Ludmilla next week. She's going to be back with us next Monday. But in the meantime, you can, of course, contact her at HPL Lamella Peluca and find her across many a social media platform talking about the latest headlines and offering up some nuggets of information. Ludmilla Lamella, have a wonderful week ahead. And thank I you, will too. catch you next week. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.